Hey everybody, it's Neil Blackman. I'm the host of the Florida Basketball Hour. Welcome back. Um, tonight we are going to have a conversation with Chris Dobertine of SB Nation, bloggingthebracket.com. Uh, one of the uh, one of my favorite national basketball writers, and and he's going to kind of preview the national landscape for us. Um, so ahead of uh, Tuesday night's opener. So uh, sit back and uh, enjoy. Um, Eric Fawcett from Gator Country uh, joins us as well. Hey, everybody. Um, I'm here with Chris Dobertine, who you can find at a bunch of places. I'll introduce him in a minute. Obviously, uh, Eric Fawcett from Gator Country is joining us as well. We're going to talk um, national scene tonight on the Florida Basketball Hour. Uh, we'll get into to Florida, Florida State a little bit towards the end of the show. So, Chris, um, welcome. Thanks for taking time to join us tonight. Just tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find um, your great work. Well, uh, right now I'm at bloggingthebracket.com doing uh, non-conference schedule rankings, which will wrap up on Friday. Um, Preseason bracket will be out on SBNation.com coming up early next week, probably Monday or Tuesday. Had to get through all the non-conference schedule stuff before I can get to the bracket. And I'm on Twitter at Chris Daubertine, though you won't actually see me on there really until we get to Tuesday because of all the other work I've got to do in between now and then. <laughs> and I feel like I should let everybody listening know that, that um, you know, Chris – Chris is extraordinarily busy this time of year, like the beginning of the season. If you're a, a bracketologist person, uh, is, is as busy as it gets. And, and I think Chris is joining us because we, we have the, uh, the UF connection. So yeah, we, really do, we do appreciate your time. I know, I know it's precious right now. Well, thanks for having me on guys. Um, so, I, I mean, I wanted to start kind of tonight with, I, I, I mean, let's talk about some of this, this schedule stuff. You, you've you've uh, really explained how schedule strength and, and national ranks work. Um, I saw that you today agreed with uh, – we had Blake Lavelle on the show, and, and he thought, you know, certainly Florida is one team that, that has one of the toughest schedules in the country. Talk to us a little bit about some of the, uh, the teams that schedules kind of jumped out at you as you started this project. Well, well, for starters, really out of the power conferences, the two that really kind of jumped out at me are, are Kansas, with Kansas, of course, kind of being in that preseason number one spot. And they always tend to schedule pretty difficultly, you know, in terms of what they're doing in the non-conference to prepare them for Big 12 play and for getting a good March seating. But they really kind of took it almost to another level this year. And that's, you know, thinking about kind of how the preseason NIT is going to go. And we'll talk about, you know, especially in terms of Tennessee being in that field. Um, that really kind of helped boost them. And then, they, of course, they play the Champions Classic every year. And, you know, they get Kentucky and the SEC Challenge, which is, which is going to be a nice late challenge for them. And, and the other one really, especially when I was doing my numbers, was, of course, was Florida. And Florida ends up being third nationally, kind of looking and combining all the different categories that I look at when doing non-conference scheduling. And really, you're, you're looking at a team that only has basically – kind of four gimme games during November and December and then going into that TCU game in the Big 12 Challenge. And it's a little different this year just because last year, if you remember with Florida opening, you know, the arena, 
they were kind of loading up on home games just so they can get more people in the building. This year they started to go back playing more neutral site games, you know, playing true non-conference road games this year against Florida State and TCU. So that's kind of that other one that really kind of jumped out at me. And really just kind of in general, the SEC as a whole has, has done a great job, especially over the past couple of seasons, in terms of really listening to the conference office and all the college basketball kind of um, people that they brought in to really kind of make the league better. The league as a whole has done a very good job. And, and surprisingly, I haven't gotten to this, and I'll get to it on Friday, the Big Ten, which the Big Ten I've really been ragging and just dragging for the past two years on how bad <laughs> their non-conference schedules have been. And even though they lost two non-conference games this year by going to a 20-game league schedule, they've actually kind of upped their game a little bit, and I, I'm, I'm a little bit impressed. <laughs> um, and I, w- I want Eric to jump in with any questions he has as well. I mean, is there – what field for – and it might be too early. It might not be something you've, you've looked at real closely. But is there – you know, I mean, I know everybody's looking forward to, like, opening night when you have – I mean, Kentucky Duke opening night is pretty ridiculous, but um, is there is there a November tournament field that you're just kind of wowed by? There, there are so many this year. <laughs> I think really, you know, right off early, early on in that Thanksgiving week, Maui is of course going to be very big this year because this is the first year they've had eight Division One teams involved because Chaminade, they're only alternating them every. They're going to be in there every odd year now instead of every uh, every single season. So that's one to keep an eye on. Um, the NIT, as I said, because it has Kansas, it has Tennessee, it has Marquette, who's going to be a good team in the Big East, probably going to challenge going over for the title there. And Louisville, who I think is going to be a lot better than what their kind of their preseason predictions have been. And then looking at the week beforehand, the Charleston Classic is going to be very interesting just because you have Alabama, Virginia Tech, Purdue, Wichita State's going to be down this year, but then you're going to have a couple of other decent, you know, a couple decent mid-majors in Davidson and Northeastern who could really kind of get a surprise and get a couple of nice early wins there. And then the other one that I'm going to be very interested in seeing is the 2K Classic just because, you know, you're going to have potentially a Syracuse-Oregon final there unless UConn turns out to be a little bit better than everybody kind of thinks they're going to be. And Iowa, I think, is going to be a squad that's going to be a lot better in the Big Ten, so that's kind of another one of those four-team tournaments that's going to be really good early on. So, Chris, I've got a question for you, and this is something I've, uh, I've thought about a lot, and I, uh, I'd love your inputs. Um, so say there was a coach of a team, like say it was like, like Chris Beard, um, a team that, uh, w- that has a team that's probably projected to be in the NCAA tournament, but not like a, uh, maybe not a top four seed mm-hmm. or something. Um, and say he was talking to uh, when scheduling, and he was saying, hey, we play in like a good league, uh, we think we're a tournament team. Uh, what should we shoot for in terms of uh, our, our strength of schedule, uh, in terms of rankings? Like, uh, do, what would you advise someone like that? Do you think that you would tell them, hey, you need to try to be a, a top five most difficult schedule? Or do you think there's a sweet spot at like 15 to 20? Or uh, do you see any trends like that, that if a coach was asking you to advise him, that you would uh, be able to tell them? I think you wouldn't want to do kind of what Texas Tech and Virginia Tech did last year and what they've done again this year, which is really be in that low you know, 300 range, you know, and not, you know, not play any, you know, road games at all. There are a couple ways that I would go about it. I think the way that, that Billy Donovan and, and now, you know, you know, has, has really done things at Florida for so long, you know, and, and now that the way coach white is doing it is a very good thing in terms of getting, you know, 
getting decent home games against teams that aren't going to kill you necessarily because you're you're going to want people to kind of get into the building and and you want to you know want to be comfortable playing in front of your home environment and you know getting those good neutral site games while playing you know you know two or three true road games if you can i really think that it's important for for power conference teams in particular to play at least one or two true road games during the non-conference you know that's pretty much what the max is going to be for a quality team, you know, year in, year out. Cause you see this year, Duke isn't going to play any Texas tech doesn't play any Syracuse plays one, you know, like I said, Florida plays two Kentucky, you know, kind of is down in that lower range too. You know, you get a lot of criticism about that, but that's really, that's the way things are power conference teams generally, unless, you know, North Carolina is kind of an exception this year. Stanford's another exception. Usually they're only playing one or two true road games in non-conference if that. So if you can kind of hit that spot, you're in great, you're in a great position. You know, the other kind of, you know, kind of going along those thoughts, Syracuse has kind of gone on the same route, kind of adopted that same scheduling philosophy of scheduling, you know, a lot of really quality mid-majors, getting a couple lower tier local teams in that, you know, they're going to hurt your RPI a little bit, but not too much because you're getting, you know, better matchups in, in your one or two road games and in your non in your neutral site contests as well. So, so really Syracuse has kind of adopted that same kind of format too. And I really think if you kind of get in that range where every once in a while you do get, you know, kind of in that top 25 range, but most seasons you're kind of around 80 to 175 to 100. I think that's really kind of where you're going to be and really is, is kind of the most realistic approach to take, especially with more power conferences going from 18 game league schedules to 20 game ones. Yeah, that is really interesting. That's uh, yeah. Uh, the more that you uh, you see all these teams that are trying to just stack up as many uh, as tough of a schedule as possible, it is interesting for you to point out. Uh, yeah, the merits of of being in the three hundreds. So yeah, that's a uh, that's some good insight. The thing with the three hundreds is, is you really have to be careful, <laughs> just because you know if, if the ACC and the Big Twelve weren't as good as they were last year, Texas Tech. And Virginia Tech would have been in that same position that Nebraska was in, where they would have had a really nice conference record, and they would have been left out because they li- the because league wins weren't there in terms of quality, you know, to kind of paper over and paste over, you know, all those really bad, you know, non-conference victories they picked up. How hard is it going to be for for Mark Few and Gonzaga? Just because of, I mean, anytime you have an injury. Um, like the Tilly injury, it's bad. Yeah. It doesn't really matter what program you are, but especially like just because of the way, you know, I mean, their conference is not good and they, they do have a brutal schedule. It's all in the next eight weeks when he's gone. I mean, how do you think the committee evaluates something like that? Is there, is there a fair way for them to evaluate it? I mean, let's say they go to Illinois and lose, right? I mean, yeah. that's something that could happen. <laughs> um, you know, it's not particularly likely, but it's possible. You know, the, I, I think the committee will treat what happens to them over the next month and a half. The, this is probably one of those situations, you know, thinking back to, if you remember how a few years ago, they always used to play that non-conference game in the middle of league of the league season. You yeah. know, usually it's Spokane Arena. <laughs> that they probably wish that they had done that this year, just so <laughs> they had that opportunity to, you know, to have Tilly in the lineup you know, against kind of one of those teams as opposed to just, you know, maybe BYU and maybe San Diego or St. Mary's if they're actually decent this season. 
of course, on the flip side, I was reading on Slipper Still Fits that they were talking about, don't worry, don't panic, because, you know, this team actually, you know, they did manage to beat Michigan State in one of those close scrimmages without him. But, of course, you have to take those close scrimmages with a game of salt, with a, with a grain of salt simply because we don't know kind of how those are played. We, you hear a lot of stories about there being a lot more situational play in those contests than actual, you know, real, you know, 40 minutes of actual game time where, you know, coaches are trying to work out different situations, you know, with actual live talent, you know, on the other side of the court. So, so it's really hard to take, you know, to, to really read too much into that, but you know, there's enough depth on that team that I think that, you know, especially getting that easy draw in Maui with Illinois, that's a game that they can kind of, you know, work their way through, you know, and and there's enough on their schedule that, you know, even though they're going to have their opportunities or, you know, Creighton, Washington, or a couple teams, and, and Texas A&M are three teams that they could probably still potentially beat without him. So I wouldn't write off Gonzaga completely. The one thing I think with the committee that comes along is, you know, if this is a number one seed type team, you know, in March, but they have, you know, kind of a three or a four seed type resume or even a five seed type resume, you know, at the end of December, you know, then what are they going to do? I, I think that's going to be the interesting thing without having that, late non-conference game as, as kind of an example, you know, unless they happen to go run through the WCC undefeated at that point, I, I think they really don't have a choice and they'd have to give them one or a two seed. Interesting. Uh, that, and that, that's really interesting to me. And I think it's a good point about some of those, the games where, you know, that, that program is so good now, like Illinois, you mentioned, they have North Dakota state in the kennel. I think Yeah, that's kind of a cool game that I'll watch because I'm a nerd, but <laughs> um it's, you know, it's one where maybe they could probably still get a victory, and that ends up probably looking like a good win. Yeah. If it was South Dakota State, different story. That could be a little – that would have been a little bit more difficult this year. <laughs> right, right, right. Got to be careful when you're scheduling your uh, Dakotas yes. this year. Especially that's for now sure. with, with four of them in the same league now, that's – that makes things even <laughs> there, more there, there could be some There, there, there could be some mix-ups that uh, could give you a lot tougher games than you might think you're getting. Yep. <laughs> um. And, and again, Eric, if you have, you know, fire away. Uh, I guess, I mean, I, I kind of be remiss if, if we didn't, because there was a mid-major in the Final Four. Um, I mean, who, who, who from the the mid-major not Gonzaga group? I don't really count them anymore. I don't think does anybody count them anymore. Um, I mean, who who, who do you kind of have your eyeball on uh, this season? Whether you know, it's it's somebody like like Kamar Baldwin and Butler or, or somebody else? Well, well, to me, the one team that really kind of jumps out is Loyola. The issue that they have is, you know, kind of the universal one, as I wrote about in my little capsule about them, is, you know, when you go on that sort of run and you're a team that, you know, Mike White, to his credit, scheduled them last year and picked up a loss. And granted, if Loyola had not won Arch Madness last year, even with that win in Gainesville, they probably wouldn't have gotten in the tournament. Right. I mean, you think about that and (laughs) you look at the schedule this year and really their best options are going to be, they get Nevada here um, for the Mountain West challenge and they get maybe Boston college. If they can win their semifinal game in Fort Myers at that new event. And that really is pretty much going to be it for them. They're, they're going to be in a situation again where they're going to have to probably win Arch Madness to get through just because they teams just simply don't want to play them. And you look on the flip side of, of the Valley and you have Illinois state who 
again, has kind of been in that situation year after year where they do well in, in, you know, in the Valley, they might lose the Valley final like they did last year. They don't get picked and they have a non-conference schedule. That's going to put them in position where if a few things break, right, they're going to be in a better at large spot, a spot for an at large than Loyola is. Wow. So, so yeah, their, their non-conference schedule is that much better. Um, but really the other team to keep an eye on, I think from the mid from the mid major perspective is that team Loyola is playing here on that. And that's Nevada. And, you know, you've seen all the hype, you know, they're top five, top 10, pretty much everywhere else. And I, I really think the map, the, the West region final is going to end up probably being Gonzaga and Nevada for a spot in the final four, especially with the PAC 12 probably being down yet again this year. So, so kind of that's the other team that I'd keep an eye on. In terms of teams that could win kind of a game when we get to March, I mentioned Northeastern earlier in the Charleston Classic. They're kind of one that I really want to keep an eye on. Um, I think if Northern Kentucky can get their act together in the Horizon League, even though that league is kind of down this year, they're another one. And, and of course, South Dakota State is going to be very well tested by their schedule, even though it's not rated very highly, just because they're going to a lot of, get a lot of really good quality majors when they go to the Gulf Coast Showcase in Fort Myers. Eric, sorry, I lost you there. Sorry, I'm back. Um, yeah, I was I was actually just curious though. Once again, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you, Chris, to put on the uh, the coach's advisor hat. Um, again, <laughs> just going back to the to the way that uh, that no one wants to play Loyola. Um, it, it, again, if you were that team, if you were Loyola Chicago, and and you were uh, in this position, um, how would you try to schedule? Like, how do you? Uh, how do you try to break this uh, this cycle of no one wanting to play you and uh, and putting together some semblance of a resume? Well, what's going to happen is is you're going to see more and more mid majors end up playing each other and just kind of forgetting about you know chasing the power power seven games, you know unless of course they you know decide they want to exclusively play on the road and, and take their chances there. And you're going to see this happen next year. Mark Adams, the analyst, the former coach, has has started something called the Alliance, which is going to be a non-conference scheduling alliance of quality mid-majors, which is going to involve challenge series probably and exempt events. And the details are still kind of sketchy. And really the participants outside of East Tennessee State are kind of sketchy at this point. We don't have a lot of details, but I think that really kind of is going to be the way forward, you know, kind of thinking a little bit more outside the box in terms of getting in more events that, that feature kind of exclusively quality majors. We're going to have another one starting up in Florida next year. Um, the gazelle group is putting on a Kissimmee that's going to be mid-major focused. And I think really that's kind of, kind of be the way it's going to go. You're going to have these teams. I think they're going to be courageous enough, you know, to maybe play, you know, two or three true road games, you know, you know, try to win those by games that they can, but you're going to really see more stratification. I think even within the mid-major ranks, of getting the higher quality teams playing each other and kind of relegating those teams in the 250, 300, 350 range, kind of playing themselves as well. Man, those those games are going to be, you know, college basketball nerd heaven. Those yeah. uh, those kind of alliance <laughs> games between some of the best, uh, the best mid-majors. And uh, yeah, that's a, yeah, it makes sense why they do it. And uh, that is going to make for some awesome content for, uh, for those of us who, uh, who really love the, uh, that aspect of college basketball. Yeah, when you're disadvantaged, sometimes you just got to, you know, just say, forget it. We've got to take care of this ourselves and because other people aren't, are simply not caring enough to fix this for us. Yeah, yeah, good for them. It kind of reminds me of, uh, of 
you know, going back to that, that like bracket buster. Yeah. So, I, I, man, that's awesome. I, I kind of look forward to that. If, if that's, if that's the direction it goes. Cause the other, another option I've heard is, is kind of the suggestion that, that uh, Jay Billis made last week, which was in a rare moment of not talking about paying the player. He said, <laughs> perhaps they could, uh, perhaps they could leave a spot or two open in some of these tournaments that book a year in advance, like an uh, Abocare or, or like, um, you know, an Atlantis and say, you know, well, we're going to invite, you know, Loyola now because <laughs> they're, you know, I don't know how, how logistically possible that is. But... Well, the thing with the, the only issue that I have with those is that every exempt tournament is required to have some sort of sponsor. And you brought two that have mid-major, conference sponsors and the Abacare is sponsored by the Metro Atlantic. The Metro Atlantic sponsors a whole bunch of exempt tournaments at this point. And Conference USA sponsors the Battle for Atlanta. So each of, each of, those, each of those conferences send a team to that event every year. So that's already there. So that might be another thing. Maybe, they, maybe these conferences need to go to ESPN and say, hey, we need, you know, we need more tournaments. Can you kind of help us out? So you know, not a bad idea, but it's kind of already partially already happening. I, I think that the, the sad part about it, too, is just kind of still the business element where I still wonder if some someone some tournament or ESPN is going to be like, hey, do we want to put a mid-major in there that uh, who's, you know, won't get as many casual viewers or uh, maybe we don't think that their <clears throat> their fans are going to travel as well or. Uh, it would be awesome if they did that, but yeah, that would be a little tough for me to believe, which is uh, which is a shame. Yeah, the viewership is really kind of the more important thing. The travel aspect, not so much, just because you'll occasionally have a team like when I went to the Advocare a couple of years ago when Wichita State went, they travel, but that's because they don't have football. So they, you know, March and November, that's their really their two opportunities to kind of you know show up as a fan base. Uh, so, but yeah, really, most of those tournaments exist simply to have something for ESPN to run, you know, outside of football games over Thanksgiving week. That's pretty much what it is. And it's, you know, it's taken forever. You know, Maui is what it is just because, you know, it's Maui. But, you know, going to Disney World, going to, you know, Orange County for the Wooden Legacy, you know, you know, those are those are nice trips, but they're not really big kind of attendance drivers. It's really the matter of just having kind of that inventory to to run on Thursday, Friday, and Sunday of Thanksgiving week. Yeah, I thought the one that like the one full game at the Advocare when when Florida played was the Gonzaga Florida game. Yeah, because of all the Gonzaga people that traveled, and because the Gator fans managed to to get out of their houses and drive down the street. And then you know on the Sunday <laughs> game against Miami, it was like a morgue. It was. it was like it was like me and like five other people. Yeah, it was. Amazing. <laughs> there was no one there. Well, even uh, even I mean the PK eighty last year, which was yeah. um, you know considered by such a success for uh, in a lot of ways, and I and I mean I, I do think it was, but uh, but I mean man, a lot of those games were real real empty, and uh, uh, but from a TV standpoint, people thought it was awesome. Uh, but uh, that that yeah that that does make sense, like you said. That's um, yeah, selling tickets, I guess, is is not the number one priority. But the nice thing about it is they have them in. You know, most of these ESPN events are held in venues that are small enough where you can put everybody in the lower bowl. So at least it looks like, you know, there's a, you know, a decent crowd and a de- decent atmosphere there. So that, that's kind of their one big focus is kind of limiting those smaller venues, you know, which builds a little bit of excitement. Granted, it's more of an optical illusion than anything else, <laughs> you know, for those early season games. Chris, I do think, 
Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I think that's always funny about the battle for Atlantis too when they're in the, because I mean, it doesn't take too many people to make that, uh, that no. look pretty cool, but uh, sorry, Neil, go on. No, no. I was just going to ask, I mean, if you had time for, for uh, one more question. Mm-hmm. Um, of course. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the spot, you know, and I'm not, I'm going to, I pick your front of horse boring. Who, who of these three national title contenders do you like the most though? Um, Kentucky, Kansas, North Carolina. Ooh, that's a really, really tough one. Um, I'm going to put Kentucky probably third on that list just because you really kind of never know what you're going to get out of a Kentucky team that relies on so many young players, you know, year in and year out. You know, they always kind of start slow, end up kind of fumbling down to a four or five seed, and then they're kind of never heard from again unless they're really special. So uh, I'm kind of want to reserve judgment on them. I think the team, you know, I think North Carolina is going to be better than people think, but I really think that Kansas, I think with their talent level, and I think they're going to be super motivated kind of with all the external Sturm and Drang kind of going around that program right now, they're going to be yeah. super motivated this year. And with that schedule, they're going to be, they're going to be a lot more tested, I think for March than they were last year. And I think that's the team out of those three I'd pick to make the deepest run. Excellent. Eric, you have any other? <laughs> oh, no, I think that's all. Uh, yeah, thanks so much for joining us, man. That was great. Thanks again for having me, Eric and Neil. Yeah, thank you. We'll, we'll hopefully catch up with you uh, again this season. Uh, absolutely. I think it's going to be a fun year, not only for Mike White and the Gators, but I think it's going to be a fun year nationally, period. Awesome. Take care, Chris. You too, guys. Thanks.